Hello and welcome to the 2022 January Fellows Choice Podcast, where we will outline the highlights of the current issue of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. I'm Dimitris Nasutis, a first-year gynecological oncology fellow from the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm Florian Joshum from Strasbourg University Hospital and Curie Institute. Fernandes and colleagues from the Institute of Oncology and Hematology in Caracas present the lead article titled Human Papillomavirus Independent Cervical Cancer. Approximately 5% of cervical cancers are not associated with HPV infection. HPV-independent cervical cancer is a unique entity with a distinct molecular profile and biological behavior. They are characterized by lower proliferative activity, a p53 immunostaining, a decreased expression of cyclin-dependent kinase inhibitor proteins, as well as a high prevalence of alterations in p10, p53, KRAS, beta-catenin, ARID1A, and ARID5B genes. Interestingly, when retesting suspected HPV-independent tumors, especially those performed with deep sequencing, between 48 and 57% of cervical cancer samples with a negative result by PCR remain truly negative. Pathogenesis of HPV-independent tumors could be explained by the hit-and-run viral theory. This hypothesis proposes that once a viral infection has caused sufficient cellular alteration, expression of viral proteins or viral infection is no longer required for tumor maintenance and consequently the virus may be lost during cancer progression. Data from retrospective studies suggest that HPV-independent tumors are associated with a higher propensity for distant metastasis, a higher rate of regional lymph node involvement and worse overall oncologic outcomes. While the American Joint Committee on Cancer in its ninth edition suggested defining HPV status, to date there are no prospective information available that evaluate different treatment or surveillance interventions according to HPV status. Dejavan Al from Mudstone Hospital in United Kingdom presents Sentinel lymph node biopsy alone in the management of early cervical carcinoma. Sentinel lymph node biopsy aims to assess lymph node status with reduced surgical morbidity. The aim of the study was to determine the accuracy and safety of sentinel lymph node biopsy in the management of early cervical carcinoma using a double technique, technexium and or methylene blue injection. The study included over 10 years, 103 consecutive women undergoing surgery for early cervical carcinoma, FIGO stage 1A1 to 1B1 at Meston Hospital. At least one sentinel left node was detected in all 103 patients, mostly operated by laparoscopy. Bilaterally sentinel left nodes were removed in 85 women. The median sentinel left node count was 2.3 nodes. Of the 103 patients, 7 patients had lymph node involvement. There were no pelvic or parotic lymph node recurrences with median follow-up of 53 months. The conclusion of this study is that in carefully selected patients with early cervical carcinoma, sentinel lymph node biopsy alone appears to be a safe method for lymph node assessment of women undergoing surgical staging. 
Carson and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic Rochester presented research titled Overall Survival After Surgical Staging by Lymph Node Dissection versus Central Lymph Node Biopsy in Endometrial Cancer and National Cancer Database Study. Substituting lymphadenectomy with central lymph node biopsy for staging purposes in endometrial cancer has raised concerns about incomplete nodal resection and detrimental oncologic outcomes. This study aimed to investigate the association between the type of lymph node assessment and overall survival in endometrial cancer accounting for node status at histology. Women with stage 1 to 3 uh, endometrial cancer who underwent hysterectomy and lymph node assessment from January 2012 to December 2015 were identified in the National Cancer Database. Patients who underwent neoadjuvant therapy had previous malignancy and those with follow-up of less than 90 days were excluded. The study demonstrated that type of lymph node assessment was not associated with overall survival regardless of the lymphadenectomy extent even in the presence of lymphatic metastasis. Type of lymph node assessment was not associated with overall survival in either type 1 or type 2 histology. Dylan Al from the Volston Medical Center in Israel presents Prognostic Significance of Pretreatment Thrombocytosis in Endometrial Cancer, an Israeli Gynecologic Oncology Study. This is a multi center retrospective cohort study of patients with endometrial cancer who underwent surgery between 2002 to 2014. Patients were categorized by pretreatment platelet count into two groups, less than or equal to 400,000 per milliliter or more than 400,000 per milliliter, defined as thrombocytosis. Patients with thrombocytosis had a higher rate of high-grade malignancy, advanced stage, lymphovascular space invasion, low uterine segment involvement, and lymph node metastasis. They also had significantly shorter 5 years disease-free survival, disease-specific survival, and overall survival. Upon multivariate analysis, an elevated pretreatment thrombocyte count remained a significant independent predictor for disease-specific survival and overall survival. This study shows that only 6% of endometrial cancer patients had thrombocytosis before treatment. Pretreatment thrombocytosis is a negative prognosis indicator of disease-specific survival and overall survival. Nachsen and colleagues from Carmel Medical Center Israel present the research titled Five-Year Survival Decreases over time in patients with PRCA mutated variant cancer, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Short-term survival rates of patients with PRCA mutated variant cancer have been previously shown to be longer than those of non-carriers. The authors aim to study the long-term survival rates of these patients and have investigated whether the five-year advantage decreases over time. A systematic review of the literature was conducted and authors considered for inclusion studies providing Kaplan-Meier survival curves up to and including 10 years, comparing patients with ovarian cancer with and without BRCA mutations. Main outcome was the conditional probability of surviving an additional 5 years. A total of 13 studies comprising of 4,565 patients were analyzed. The study demonstrated that improved short-term survival rates of patients with BRCA mutated 
ovarian cancer decrease at 10 years. PRCA carriers who survived five years from diagnosis may not demonstrate a survival of that phantoms. And Guyen and Al from the University of Toronto present dual mechanical and pharmacological thromboprophylaxis decreases risk of pulmonary embolus after laparotomy for gynecologic malignancies. The authors aim to compare rates of symptomatic pulmonary embolus within 30 days post-operatively and to identify risk factors for pulmonary embolus. The authors conducted a prospective study of laparotomies for gynecologic malignancies for one year in a single institution, with comparison to the historical cohort from January 2016 to November 2017 using the Institutional National Surgical Quality Improvement Program database. Pre-intervention, low molecular weight heparin was given during admission and extended 28 days prophylaxis was continued at the surgeon's discretion. Post-intervention, all received both mechanical thromboprophylaxis with sequential compression devices during admission and 28-day prophylaxis with low molecular weight heparin. The conclusion of this study is that dual thromboprophylaxis after laparotomy significantly reduced rates of pulmonary embolus in this high-risk patient population. Niteki and colleagues from the MD Anderson Cancer Center present the study titled Employment Disruption Among Women with Canicolosic Cancers in the Year After Diagnosis. Adverse employment outcomes pose significant challenges for cancer patients, though data in patients with canicolosic cancers are sparse. Authors evaluated the decrease in employment among patients in the year following the diagnosis of a canicolosic cancer compared to population-based controls. Patients who were diagnosed with a canicolosic cancer were identified in Truven Morgan scan, an insurance claims database of commercially insured patients in the United States. Patients working full of part-time at diagnosis were matched to population-based controls in a 1 to 4 ratio via propensity score. Multivariable Cox proportional hazard models were used to evaluate the risk of employment disruption in patients versus controls. Study shows that gynecologic cancer patients have three times increased risk of employment disruption compared to controls. Employment disruption is a challenge to functional recovery for gynecologic cancer patients and should be addressed during the course of oncologic care. Lewin Al from the Dana Ferber Cancer Institute presents Adagio Phase 2B International Study of the We1 inhibitor adavosertib in women with recurrent or persistent uterine serous carcinoma. A previous proof-of-concept phase 2 trial of the We1 inhibitor adavosertib in uterine serous carcinoma demonstrated evidence of durable clinical activity. In this phase to be trial, Lyon Arles aims to evaluate the efficacy of adavosative in women with recurrent or persistent uterine serous carcinoma. Eligible participants will receive adavosative monotherapy until disease progression or unacceptable toxicity, starting at the recommended phase 2 dosing of 300 mg daily days 1 through 5 and 8 to 
12 of a 21-day cycle. Participants will have restaging studies every 6 weeks for the first 48 weeks and then every 9 weeks thereafter. Histologically confirmed recurrence of persistent uterine serous carcinoma, including endometrial carcinoma of mixed histology where the serous components comprise at least 10% of the tumor and who have received at least one prior platinum-based chemotherapy regimen are eligible for inclusion in this trial. Participants must have measurable disease. The primary endpoint is the objective response rate by RESIS 1 by 1 criteria. Approximately 120 patients will be enrolled in this trial. Chris and Morse from Austria and colleagues present the clinical trial protocol titled Phase 3 Randomized Open Label Study of Pembrolizumab plus Lymphadenib versus Chemotherapy for First Line Treatment of Advanced or Recurrent Endometrial Cancer, NCOT and 9 LEAP1. The standard of care for patients with advanced or recurrent disease is currently multi agent systemic chemotherapy, including paclitaxel. Pembrolizumab has demonstrated high response rates in a single-arm phase 1b2 trial in patients with advanced endometrial cancer following less than two previous lines of therapy. This combination also demonstrated improved objective response rates, progressive-free survival and overall survival compared to chemotherapy in the Keynote 775 phase 3 randomized trial that recruited patients who received one or two previous lines of therapy. The aim of this trial is to compare the efficacy and safety of first-line pembrolizumab plus lenvatinib versus paclitaxel plus carboplatin in patients with newly diagnosed stage 3 or 4 or recurrent endometrial cancer with measurable or radiographically apparent disease and an ECOG score of less than 1. Eligible participants will be randomized to receive pembrolizumab IV every three weeks plus lymphadenib PO daily or paclitaxel plus carboplatin IV every three weeks and will be stratified by mismatch repair status. The dual primary endpoints will be progressive free and overall survival and the study aims to recruit a total of 875 patients. Manon Denal from IUCT Oncopal Toulouse from France presents anterior pelvic exenteration and laterally extended pelvic resection, a step-by-step -step procedure. This video presents a case of a 52-year-old patient diagnosed with chemo cell cervical cancer involving the right pelvic wall and previously treated with concomitant chemoradiotherapy. At the end of this treatment, she presented a large symptomatic vesicovaginal fistula with residual tumor. The authors present the exenterative procedure with a laterally extended pelvic resection and divided it in 10 steps. The conclusion of this video is that this procedure may be considered as an option in case of lateral involvement of localized tumor in the right candidate and only in a referral center.